Hey everybody, it's been a little while since you've heard my voice over the internet in a podcast format. This is Chris Banta, CEO, professional Jawa, professional scrub here at Romanus Records. Got some good news. Romanus Records podcast is coming back in full mild force, which means we're trying really hard to make this a thing. Uh, we have so many amazing guests at our disposal that we really just, uh, yeah, we need to make it happen. And the reason that this can happen is because of good people like you. Some of you may know, some of you may not know. I was able to go full-time with vinyl uh, as my employment probably about 10 weeks or so ago. Um, I opened up the manufacturing side, uh, Romana's Custom Vinyl Manufacturing, where other bands, labels, and so on and so forth could come order all the crazy custom stuff that you've come to know me for here at Romanus, and business has exploded. Um, one of the first things I did was the Black Dahlia Murder uh, Verminous liquid-filled record, um, and orders have been coming in ever since, so it's been pretty wild. It's been a pretty spicy time for me, so I really appreciate all of your support and all that to be said. Just a few updates. We just had the new James Leg. A release that you hear in the back, backing behind you right now. It was on sale last Saturday. We've sold through everything so far, other than some splatters that are left. So go pick one of those up if you dare. Uh, we've also recently launched uh, our Romanus apparel line of just tons of shirts and hoodies and stuff like that for bands. Um, and it's only going to get weirder. I'm super excited to roll out and show you all the different things that are coming down the ether. Uh, I mean, it's going to be yeah, it's going to be crazy. We have some Romanus Records shoes that will soon be on sale. I know a good number of you have seen. So, yeah, it's a good time. I know the world is in a dark place right now, and uh, I hope that this can give you a little relief as you stay indoors and stay away from people as much as you can. So, without further ado, my interview with Carl Hofstetter, the owner of Joyful Noise Recordings, incredible record label. Incredible. Uh, and one of my personal just heroes. Good dude. This re- interview was recorded back, goodness gracious, like September. So we've been sitting on this for a while. So digest this at your leisure here at the Romanus Records podcast. Hey, Carl. Hey. It's great to, it's great to see you. It's been a minute. You too. It's been a few, it's been about a month since you gave me guidance as to what to do with my life and my label, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> um, yeah, so today on the Romanus Records podcast, we have Carl. How do you pronounce your last name? Hofstetter. Hofstetter. Although um, I, um, I was in Germany once, and someone corrected me on the pronunciation of my own name, and they said it's Hofstetter. Hmm. So. I, you know, it's 2019. You can say it however you want. Right. But okay. I, the way I was raised, it's Hofstetter. Okay. Well, that's, that's probably the right way because it's the, it's your way. It's American. It is. That is the American way. So being proud Americans in this proud time, I have <laughs> questions for you about the American dream and how it, uh, I guess, I don't know, applies to joyful noise and how you came to be. So, um, we're going to start with our first segment that I like to call Let's Get It On. And my questions, and there are many, Carl, but I appreciate your time. 
how in the world did Joyful Noise Records come to be? Like, what was when were kind of the beginnings? Like, what year did it kind of start to float around your mind or exist? So the the first Joyful Noise release was just my my band in when I was a freshman in college um, and Joyful Noise is not a real label I just made up a fake label name to put on the back of my band's CD to give us a sense of legitimacy I think this is a common practice probably I, for I, a lot I, of labels, yeah right? I mean I, I I probably I mean it's it made sense to me that we uh that we make up something on the back so that people who randomly stumbled across this, you know, one of these 500 CDs would, might think that we're a real band. For quote sure. Unquote. That's what um, it's all about. And, um, so, but, but, you know, my, my main focus in that era when I was, I was like 18, 19, um, was, I was putting my efforts into that, that band which was a noise rock instrumental duo um called milk the g649 okay that that's actually one of my and questions what what is that band I name what is it where does it mean what is it it's i don't know i i mean <laughs> i know that we we eventually decided to use it just because it was so ridiculous and we thought it was a good it was a good way to build a barrier so that um like we so that we would never get unnecessarily popular like you you would <laughs> like it's it's hard to it, it's hard to ha- to be popular with a band name like milk the g649 and so we we thought it was funny to to be as you know as esoteric as possible it it was pretty juvenile, um, but you know I still like I I just listened back to that first record a few weeks ago for the first time in many years and um man I was actually pretty proud of it yeah yeah I mean for for seventeen year old kids recording you know no, noisy improv <laughs> so how old so how old were you when Joyful Noise parentheses started. How old were you? Um, I th- so, I mean, with that, that first release was recorded in 2002 or three. And I think in Summer of Love, I think, <laughs> I think that I, I think that it was quote unquote released in January of 2003, which would, I think, make me 19. 18 or 19 old enough to vote old enough to run a record label yeah fresh <laughs> freshman at iu okay and then um but i had no real aspirations for for starting a, a label in general at that point it kind of was a gradual process over the over the next like five or so years i would just release friends bands or other bands that I um that I was in you know and um but it was very much a just sort of um uh, 
you know, very little strategy going into it. <laughs> I would, I would um, scrape together enough money to, to, to press 500 CDs and throw a release show and then hopefully make some of the money back, you know? Yeah. Just do it all over. Again. Um, yeah. And, um, and then I, so I ended up transferring to Butler university because my dad and stepmom at the time, um, started teaching there and they've got a crazy, uh, deal where, um, you can get free tuition if you're, if your parents are faculty. That's a good deal. Yeah. And so, so I transferred there and then just continued to take out student loans to release records. <laughs> so that was, and that was essentially the seed money for, for Joyful Noise. Did, um, did your parents know you were taking out school no. loans? Because this was the era, and I remember because I had started college in 05, and if you were in, I think it sounds like similar kind of boat, where we would just sign up for school loans in our own name, not have to have <laughs> anyone co-sign. Yeah. I signed up for all of mine just on the internet. I yeah. didn't know anything I was doing. I was like, I know. Uh, yeah, I need it. Sounds so good. predatory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what are interest rates? I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You're going to give me this money now? Tight. Yeah, I know. It was basically, it was that stupid. I it, Not a strategy I recommend. <laughs> um, but... Um, it makes for a good story, though. Miraculously, <laughs> it worked out in my case. Um, but yeah, I... But I, you know, I didn't study music or anything. I, I um, studied religion, <laughs> uh, boy. religion and history, and um, yeah, ended up graduating from Butler from the religious studies um, department, which uh, also uh, Jim Jones graduated from. Just so you know, shout out to Jim Jones. <laughs> yep. Um, but. I would say so. So all this time throughout college, like Joyful Noise is sort of like you're not going to go down a Jim Jones path with Joyful Noise. To be clear, well, he was successful at a lot of things. He was. Let's not. He was uh, one of the first people in Indianapolis (laughs) to like uh, be very pro integration. Yeah, exactly. He was uh, at the forefront. of Yes, yes, he was. He's a classic example of power kind of going to your skull. Yeah, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, but I think I think he believed his own. He believed his own lie too. Oh, he bought into you know? his own ish yeah, for sure. Yeah. He was shoveling it down, especially yeah. at the end. Yeah, I mean, he killed himself after all. It's not like he took their money and went to Aruba or some shit. He, yeah, yeah. Um, he was he, down for he the killed cause. himself. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, like um, during yeah during college and stuff, I. Like joyful noise is still happening, but it's very much just a side project, just a you know a thing I do, sort of like a hobby. And um, um, where it for me, where it started to actually take a turn um, into being um, being my career is uh, when. Uh, it's with the band Joan of Arc. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was a big, big fan of Joan of Arc. And um, uh, one night I was uh, just drunk at my house listening to one of their records and randomly emailed 
uh, polyvinyl their label and asked if I could release this that album on cassette. And, okay. and this was and this was like 2010 or 2009 or something like that. Okay. I don't know what what year it was, but it was like before the quote unquote cassette resurgence or whatever. So it was like cassettes were no one was doing they were cassettes. ultra niche. No one was doing cassettes at all. And so Polyvinyl, like to my amazement, got back right away and was like, uh, sure, that's crazy, but go ahead. <laughs> and then I think about that now. Yeah. If, especially with like, cause that still aren't like this crazy giant financial thing, but there is a market for it. Mm-hmm. And I can't even imagine if a label sent a message to another label and was like, hey, can I release this thing that you already have on a different format? And they would just be like, yeah, sure. It was, yeah, I think it was just crazy enough that they were just intrigued about it. Yeah. They were like, huh, why not? Like, let them do it. And then I kept sort of like pushing my luck with them. I was like, well, what about like all seven of the, or maybe it was a six of the um, Joan of Arc records that you guys have released? Can I do all of these on cassette? Can I do discography? (laughs) And they were like, yeah. That's fine. Like, um, and then I went to Joan of Arc's previous label, um, uh, Jade Tree, and they were like, "We don't give a shit about anything." And so, <laughs> and that was so that was their approval. And then, so so I, had you talked to Joan of Arc before this? No, <laughs> oh, that's even better. No, and I, um. But as soon as I had this sort of idea to like, because at the time they had ten records, right? And and so I had this idea to like, let's release all ten Joan of Arc records on cassette in this cassette box set. Yeah. Um. And then I, uh, I think after I had the idea, I met met Tim Kinsella for the first time, and um. And he was kind of like, like, uh, I remember him saying, you know, you might not sell a single one of these, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, are you okay with that? <laughs> uh, anyways. And, um, but I, I just, I thought it was a really like cool project. It was like an art project for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought it was just, just fun and a, and a great way to like, to work with a band that I was a super fan of. And um, to my amazement, uh, we, we only did a hundred of them, mm-hmm. of the box sets, but to my amazement, they sold out in one day. So, yeah. And like before that, we had only sold like, we may have sold a hundred copies like total. And like within the lifetime. Yeah, within the, like <laughs> within years of the label or something, you know, like through our site. And so we sold them all in one day. And that experience just made me start thinking about about how to how to run labels differently um, and how to think about music differently and think about the role of a label as um 
you know le- less about like trying to play by the rules or trying to like do what other labels have done in the past but instead like um focus on sort of unique physical packaging and and leaning into like to artfully um artfully releasing um uh the these like these physical sort of um uh trophies or something yeah Um, or something you know more more tangible and it was just like uh i think you your label has been a great influence to me just seeing how much what i've always talked about where i'd have these bands that you know you love and then they're you know vinyl or cassettes or whatever felt like it was like they put all this work in all this effort and then they'll they'd get all the way to the finish line and whatever label they were working with or whoever it just looked like a throwaway it was like you know it's like oh we could do so much more art wise you mm-hmm. know and i think within the age of the internet and how it, now more than ever i think individuality is more important to everybody than ever i think in terms of artwork you mean yeah just yeah. artwork and just even as as people we want to yeah. get online and always i mean you look at just forums and everything else. Like there's anything that you're into now because of the internet, you can probably find other people that are into it. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, that's one of the crazy things that like I've been thinking about a lot with the internet and how like how the internet creates these, these very specific subcultures of, of interest, you know, where people, um, where like like in the future i don't see there being rock stars on the level of like david bowie or 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 mick jagger or somebody like that you know what i mean it's gonna be because like like people like like those artists will still exist but they'll be more on the level of like kevin barnes (laughs) from of montreal or like or you know like the and they'll have they can still have careers but it's like um you know the 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 like prevalence of all of the information and the fact that there is you know like thousands of times of mul- there are multiple thousands of times the amount of music hitting you all the time like you have to like really focus in on um what your thing is or whatever you know what i mean for sure all you have to do is probably look at how release schedules work now you mm-hmm. know comparative to maybe how they used to be where now it's like your first four weeks of sales i mean is gosh is like 80 percent of your sales you yeah. know and it's it's just because of the news cycle with media and everything now yeah it's so short um yeah i think it's gonna be extremely hard for people of that level to to like to reach that level and have staying power for that long yeah or like if, taylor swift if they have to but if they do yeah it's like it's like lowest common denominator music it's yeah. the stuff that it's not because they're great it's not because they're like they're pushing boundaries, the boundaries. it's because they're appealing to everyone and you know what i mean yeah i see um, what you're saying i wonder and this might just be personal bias the only, from a rock standpoint, band that I could think of that has a sliver of a chance, maybe, but it's still, I mean, it's not like it's getting terrestrial radio play in a lot of the U.S. anyways, 
like King Gizzard feels mm-hmm. they feel like legit rock stars and they feel like their fandom levels are fairly outrageous but I think part of it is because they've leaned into this to the mm-hmm. world that we live in where they're putting yeah. out releases like every second you right. know and, and they don't give a fuck they're not no. they're not waiting around no they're just like we're going to and if anything that's it's kind of weird but it might be smart in the world that we live in to just be like yo we're going to cash in right now as long as we can because the cycle can be so short now that we should just be mutants about it now like there's yeah. i can't think of anyone who's doing something at the level of releases that they're doing there's a lot of people that be putting singles out that often but not album after album and i, I haven't heard of another band either who did that thing where they just let any label release their no their album no that's that's kind of brilliant man it was super smart and <clears throat> the, it only matters if a band and i've had a discussion with other people is at their level for it to matter yeah, totally. You know, like, like I'm yeah, sure, yeah, like, yeah. you know, we, every demo you get, <laughs> right? They have the same perspective. <laughs> right. Every every label, show. right? That's what we did. Yeah, right. Just any, yeah, but like, hey, we're, yeah. this is public domain, exactly. Right, um, and, and that's yeah, the same deal with like releasing shit, you know, uh, for free on the internet or pay what you want on the internet. It's like only that only works for Radiohead, right? You know, right. Um, I thought it was one of the most brilliant marketing things I'd ever seen. Like I. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I thought it was like a joke. And then the funny thing was the amount of labels that a few that figured out pretty quick. It was serious to within the first like 48 to like, I don't know, maybe a week. The, the labels that put up pre-orders the fastest, I know cashed in and like, you know, sold tons of wax, like tons. Do you know how I never read about like how they did the finances for that? Do you know if they like, require the the label to even pay the band at no, all or so I, I did one you did oh yeah oh. i so like i kind of didn't part of me didn't want to and then so what happened for me was i put out the first led record for brother brother and then when i did that though i was trying to pitch to the flaming lips to do it i thought it fit everything about their band their live show and it just kind of, there was like, eh, they weren't sure what to do. So I did it for that. And then when that came out, my first LED record did so well that I just was, I was like, man, I kind of don't want to do this, but I feel like there's just too much money to be made not to. And so I did an order for 200 LED records. And I mean, they all sold out in like a day and a half. And it was, and they were like ninety five a piece, and I've never given King Gizzard a dime, like nothing. And they're not asking for it. No, nothing, absolutely nothing. Wow. So I'm, I think I'm going to be able to meet them in Chicago. What did they give you? What did they? So okay, so the way it worked is, like, what you, were the assets that they that they put out? So there? they they put out the masters for their artwork, for vinyl, for cassette, for eight track, for. I think there's one other format and they put them all out and they just, and it was just like a download link and just on their site and they, they, their site anybody up, can do it. Yeah. Like we're like not, you, you could go pull it up right now. Like if we you wanted to go have to like, they're not trying to sign off on nothing, anything. Absolutely yeah. nothing. Wow. Just, it's, that's such an insane idea. What if you're fucking, what if you like fuck with the audio? What if you're like, you I, I want to, 
I want to resequence this record. Yeah, there's been people who've done remixes. There's wow. been like that's awesome. I love this. I know. I wish. Yeah, and you know the amount of press they got from that. Yeah, surely was more than they would have got just from putting out another record. You know. I, I don't know. About, I mean, they probably they gave up a lot of money too. I'm sure they but did. Like, but they they put out five albums in but, a year. But yeah, exactly. They've got for a band like them, they probably had three albums in the can anyway. Right. So this is a great way to like to to put to release this material in in a very unique way. Right. And the yeah. amount of different things that have been made because of it is yeah. astounding. Yes. And it's yeah, right. So it's like it's stimulating like like uh, uh, separate economies, like and like creativity from from people around the world, you know. Yeah, one of the guys. It's like forcing you know kids in high school to figure out how to get a record pressed. Right. You know? <laughs> I think one of the guys, um, he's the one I'm supposed to meet in Chicago and give him an LED record. Um, he has been collecting all the different releases as he has been able to, as he's been able to find them. I think it's somewhere in the range of like 60 releases or more. I mean, that's bonkers. That's crazy. So, yeah, one of the craziest things I've ever seen. So back back to Joyful Noise. Uh, why why the name Joyful Noise? Where did that come from? Uh, I mean, I regret that pretty much every day of my life. Um, <laughs> that's dark. <laughs> <laughs> It, it it was very flippant just because the the band I was in is it's a noise band and I just thought it would be funny. You just keep going down that path. Yeah, and it's but it you know, but like and I was also a religion major, so I'm like I was fully aware that like there's a psalm in, you know, Old Testament or the, the Tanakh whatever. Yeah. That's like uh Psalm of David or whatever it says um whatever something about joyful noise <laughs> and uh make a joyful noise unto the lord that's yeah. what it says so yeah. um and we just thought it was funny that it would be like a prayer and but but with actual screeching feedback <laughs> uh, with the, give me the band name again milk the g649 so good. so good uh but um i mean i've, I've made peace with it at this point <clears throat> Because too far I, down the I road. feel like, yeah, I mean, we've made it our own and stuff, but for a while there, it was very, very annoying because, like, people, um, at least people of a certain, people who are, like, raised Baptist or whatever, would assume that we are Christians. Um, and be disappointed not to that find that there's, out otherwise. Yeah, I mean, like, not that there's anything wrong with being a Christian other than it's, you know, factually inaccurate, but, like... Um, Anyway, I'm. It, it it was just we we've been over that hump for several years now, so it's fine. Like we've got enough of our own identity to where people. It's been a long time since people have confused us with a Christian label, but for a little while that was happening. There was that there was that thing at the beginning. Yeah, were you getting lots of pitches from like uh, local gospel choirs and stuff? Like, hey, um, sometimes, yeah. Some, <laughs> we've got some. We had some weird, like voicemails. We used to have a you know actual phone number yeah. for customer service and motherfuckers would call up and just sing into the voicemail like <laughs> like it was a demo it was crazy <laughs> yeah that's pretty epic um i wish 
See, another thing you probably regret is deleting all of those voicemails because imagine <laughs> if you would have kept them. You yeah. could have done a, like a really weird late cut series called like a voicemail series and it would have just been 10 bizarro voicemail demos. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so how many releases do you think you've probably put out to date in the label's existence? Um, over 300. I, um, it's hard to say because, I mean, so we're working on, I think catalog number like 312 or something right now okay but um it's hard to say because a lot of those are um like series where like like our white label series right. will be jnr you know 150 but that's mm. actually 12 releases so it'll be 150-1 For is sure. january 150.2 is february so i don't know i guess is this a short answer somewhere somewhere above 300 okay well, yeah, probably, each, probably, maybe closer to four hundred. Yeah, I mean, each one of those should count as a release. Each record is being pressed, you know. So, um, that's absolutely insane. So, with all that, have you? How many of a, a year right now? Do you think that probably is? Um, so we're trying to. This is something we're actually discussing at the label right now for next year. We're we're trying to schedule them so that we, um. So we don't overextend ourselves. Um, it's something that I, it's been a struggle for us in the past is like, I always want to like jump at every opportunity for sure that, that I see and it, and it, um, and I, it's, <laughs> it's been, uh, tough for me to, to, to dial that back be, because, you know, I've realized it stresses our team out and, and we're not doing our best work if if we're always scrambling you know so um what we try to do um is is do one major release per month okay of a, of a new proper full-length record okay in addition to those we've got um subscriptions that we do so, yeah so seven inch each month We've got a white label. So that kind of ties in like, each month. What's the name of your subservice? What do you just what do you call your subscription service? Uh, just VIP. The VIP. And for the layperson out there cuz we're mm-hmm. you know, what is your VIP service? What does it look like and after that what is the JNR 100? So VIP is is basically like I like to think of it as like kind of a like a co-op. Like if somebody is um, if somebody's a supporter of of the bands on our label and what we're doing, they can choose to pay five bucks a month um, in order to get early access to buy records, get access to special things like, um, well, certain releases we only like super limited stuff we only make available to VIPs. Um, they can we allow them to stream records before they're announced to the public. So, you know, um, the new tropical fuck storm or whatever, like VIPs will get an email where, and they can buy it and stream the whole record for like 12 hours. And then the next day it's on pitchfork. Everyone everyone hears about the next day. Right. Um, so shit like that. It's just kind of like, um, special access club 
that you pay into and then those funds help us to operate help because it's you know a pretty shitty business <laughs> being in music <laughs> so so um so as a vip like um so there are a couple tiers like as a vip you can you can just do the five bucks a month and that's essentially just like access and digital you get free, free right. downloads of everything um you can get on guest lists to our shows and stuff and things like that um you can also sign up for a monthly seven inch if you're a vip um uh which will just be automatically you know delivered to your door um the jnr 100 thing you mentioned is it's kind of like um those guys are like the super vips or the they're almost like like financiers in a way (laughs) (laughs) basically so we've got we've got a hundred people called the jnr 100 who sign up to just pay 100 dollars a month to pre-buy everything that we put out and like no questions asked they just they just get it all get it all like including box sets including you know weird limited lathe cut stuff including you know um like the most limited version of a kishibashi record or or whatever it is right yeah every variant that is every variant actually it's just the most limited variant okay so they don't they don't get like the VIP and the white vinyl and the black vinyl and the CD and the cassette. Right. Of something, they just get the... Whatever the most limited They just get the is. limited... Yeah, and they also get a number that is between 1 and 100. They get the low numbers. Okay. The first 100 copies. How long have you had the JNR 100 um, slash the subservice? Like, JNR 100, uh, I think it's going into its fourth year. Okay. I think we're in our third year now. Were you pretty, pretty sure. scared to launch that when you did? Did it seem like, like um, I'm not sure if? Well, no. I mean, we launched it basically just because we were like, "Look at these all these motherfuckers that are buying everything," <laughs> and it just made you know? sense. Yeah, yeah. Like I think that they would. Like I think if we offered this, people would be into it. And, and I'm sure for all those people, like, and I understand where you. For our label, we have definitely some certain people that are buying. Like you said, almost every. It's more streamlined if they know that just. It comes yeah. out and they just get it. If they're, yeah, I mean, there obviously needs to be a lot of trust there, you know, because th- there are a lot of other customers who just only care about one di- band. You only care about one, one or two bands. They don't give a fuck about the others. For sure. And, and like, and those people are not right for JNR one hundred. JNR one hundred are are for the people that have like a long history of buying Joyful Noise releases, and they have a very diverse music taste and they like to be challenged by new forms of music. For sure. Um, Joyful Noise definitely is a very, I mean, musically eclectic label. It's, I would definitely, I would not say it's one thing for sure. Yeah. 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 And that's how I like it. I mean, I'm the only one in the world that likes every band that we release. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that, that makes it a lot easier you know, to sell, like there's a, I think passion bleeds through, you know, on everything. Yeah, and, totally. Totally. And when you're, yeah. you know, people who are interested or buyer base, you know, see that, I think they're far more likely to be willing to try new and different things because they, 
I agree. It's that passion. You know? I agree. Yeah, it's way. Um, it's way more like um, experiential than an algorithm, like feeding you something. You know what I mean? Like an algorithm's gonna like feed you um, new music you might like based on like what you it, already listen yeah, to. Yeah, based on like j- genre, you know, I- identifiers, and it's like that's not how people listen to music. Like, pe- well, maybe that I mean, is may- how they listen. Maybe, now, but maybe yeah. some people like, may- like maybe the casual listeners, sure. you know, like totally. Maybe casual listeners only like fucking dubstep or whatever. Right. But it's like, I think that there are a lot of people, myself included, that like I don't listen to music. Like genre is totally secondary to me. Like yeah. I don't listen to music based on what the genre is. Or what the historical like context is, or anything like that. It's more like it, it's it's deeper than that. It's about like the human like expression behind it, you know. For sure. So, with all that in mind, you've put out some pretty what's the? I mean, just creative releases, like musically, not not just vinyl and art. Um, what is one of your favorite? kind of releases that like you drawn from kind of that human experience but there's a guy who drives a box truck right that you put out like a <laughs> oh psychic temple yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 like um what can you just tell me about how that came to be so i remember seeing a video i think it was on like insider or something or like 60 second docs on facebook about it and it was just absolutely <laughs> wild yeah so psychic temple is a actually a really weird um example for us i so chris larb who is psychic temple he's the temple yeah (laughs) i actually used to be on his record label what was that called that was called sounds are active okay and so the 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 second joyful noise or sorry the second milk the g649 release of course <laughs> um i was sending out demos to other labels cuz even though we were you know we had joyful noise on the back that wasn't a real label at the time um totally been there <laughs> um and i got in touch with um with chris larb that way and he had this really great label in Long Beach um, called Sounds Are Active. And uh, he was doing a lot of really just interesting um, hip-hop stuff, like experimental electronic noise stuff. And he really liked us. And so he, so so we, so we quote-unquote co-released the, <laughs> <laughs> the second um, Milk album with his label and that's how we became friends um he then uh when he he folded his label and he and he signed to asthmatic kitty records and he he's close friends with michael kaufman um who was running asthmatic kitty for a long time and chris introduced me to michael out in san diego and so my relationship with those guys goes like way back like you know 15 years or whatever for sure so yeah i mean did he just start making new stuff and was like hey what do you think about this carl and they just kind of went from there or he um he was more he was on asthmatic kitty um 
which is, <clears throat> if if anyone doesn't know, that's it's a really great label, um, but it's basically just bankrolled by Sufjan Stevens. <laughs> uh, Sufjan's a, a owner of the label, and he and as far as I know, he's the only release that's ever made any money on that label. And there's enough money off of that yeah, releases though to like probably pay the bread for yeah totally I mean <laughs> like he basically like funneled a, you know a portion of of uh, you know Sufjan royalties to yeah he's making an in kind donation it is it is yeah 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 <laughs> it's 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 like his his you know uh, he's philanthro- philanthropic endeavor but um, but there's a point where. Like Asthmatic Kitty basically um, shutter its doors, or, or it, that's a little hard, harsh to say. But they they essentially were like, hey, we we're not releasing any more music besides Sufjan. And when that happened, it was a natural fit for us to work with Chris. Just made um, made good sense. Yeah, because we're like, you know, we're good friends and. Um, I, I think like most, most of our artists relationships happen that way, like through, uh, mutual friendships, you know? Yeah. It's a, I think for a lot of people, especially just the average person or even just younger bands and they're wondering about how, how to pitch to labels or demos and everything like that, you know, it's the 1995 mindset of either a i'm just going to play and get discovered or b i'm just going to get a bunch of padded envelopes and send a whole bunch of stuff to a whole bunch of people rarely works out it's yeah most of the time if you want to get onto a label your best bet to get on their radar is to play some shows with bands on the label exactly and then those bands are like hey i'm not trying to tell you how to do your job i just played with this band the other night and they ripped you you might want to take a look exactly that that is what you described is our official demo policy at yeah. this point. Like I don't like if 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 bands think that that they're right for joyful noise. Our demo policy is have someone else on the roster or someone that we're friends with that we work with vouch for you. Yeah, <laughs> like have them. Like if you are right for this label, chances are we have a mutual friend somewhere. Yeah, find that person, have them make sen- the, make send the us your shit. Yeah, <laughs> and then, I mean that—that's a natural, you know, that makes sense. Uh, I think that's just how a lot of life goes. You yeah, know, it's, totally. It's no different. But with music, we have it, preconceived notions of how it's supposed to happen. I right, guess. but like, yeah, the—it's—it's uh, it's a far better, especially in this day and age. It's—I think it's a far better tactic to like to just do your own thing with and and be just you know aggressively original and play with bands you like and and try to yeah. just have fun and keep keep and the business side will it'll, it'll, it'll form around you you know for sure yeah um all right so my last couple of questions before we just go to our, our last segment here um what i guess like what do you think is your favorite it's like a two-part question. Your favorite release musically, and then your favorite release artistically that you've put out, like from like a custom standpoint. Or That's something not like that. fair. I know. Well, it's because 
we all know that the entire Joyful Noise roster will be listening to this, and <laughs> you know they'll be wanting the approval of you know Papa Carl and be so curious about <laughs> what you think. Uh, what was the question? My favorite release musically? Yeah, like like well, to make it nicer, we'll say one of your favorite mu- that that makes it that makes it easier. What's is this like? You know, the one that I've listened to the most, or yeah, the one like it, that if I you're, if you're gonna go like slap an album down, like what? What do you think? Like one of your very first choices would be from your catalog. Hmm. This is so impossible. All right, I'm gonna pick one that nobody knows of because. It's my. This is my favorite. This is my favorite release. I think this is the most underrated release. Okay. Um, it's my favorite release that nobody has any fucking idea it exists. <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually, there there are kind of. <laughs> uh, there are two in that category that I can think of. One is Rafter. Okay. Uh, X Y Z. We only released this a couple years ago. It, it, but it was like, uh, I mean, maybe it was like four years ago, it, but such a brilliant record. And for reasons that I just can't explain, no one seems to give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other one um, is this band, Barry, B-E-R-R-Y. Um, we released this record way back in the day called blue sky raging sun and um when did that come out that that came out probably like like 2007 or something like that um it is fucking magical record like if that band um I don't know. They that's another one of those bands where it's like like I don't even even if that came out today, I don't I don't know if we would be able to find that band's audience. I don't know if that band's audience exists. <laughs> They're like but it's like that is a record where like like if if I get too drunk at a party and want to just geek out by myself and want everyone else to leave. That's what I put you're on. Like, <laughs> you're like, drop that very neat. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, this is my happy place, and I'm just going to be happy by myself while you all leave. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That's the best party. Get out of my house. I'm listening to Barry. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> all right, so this is our, our final segment. This is kind of... A lightning round. Envision game show music because there will be in post, but there's not right now. So these are just like our my last little few questions that are a little more off the path. Um, oh, wait, didn't wait? I thought you had another question about the my favorite like. Oh packaging. yeah, yeah, yeah. Excuse me. And your favorite package, like either packaging I know, or. Okay, I know that one. Okay, that, you seem ready for that. Yeah, so that's an easy one for me because like. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, my favorite packaging or format kind of release 
was the Dale Crover Skins record. I knew record. that's what it would be. I knew did. it. You're wearing a Melvin's hat today. Yes, I am. Uh, yeah, Melvin's are just my favorite band. Like, Dale Crover is formative to how I think about music. And um, the reason this was so cool is because it started with the format. Mm-hmm. Like, um, our guy, Mike Dixon... Um, yep. People he, in a position to know. Yep. Know who so Mike, Mike Dixon is. Mike Dixon <laughs> came up with this design with that had <laughs> this record with six different spindle holes. Um and it looked really cool. Um but it, it it's so impractical because you have to pick the record up and put it back down every single time you change the song and you can only fit 30 second songs so <laughs> so this required you know an, an artist to have 12 30 second songs and then that artist is also you know we need to be somebody whose fans would be willing to pay like a hundred bucks for this because right. it's like it's so it, fucking it makes no labor intensive yeah. and um so the only person I could think of was Dale Crover, and um, and so I I asked Dale if he would compose 12, 12, 30, 12 second. 30 second songs like specifically for this um, this format, um, and he did, and um, we only made one hundred and twenty seven of them. And they sold out in like five minutes, and then there were people that were like super angry, right, super angry that they couldn't get it. But like, um, but the real, like, the real silver lining of that story is the fact that like that, um, the act of 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 having him go through that exercise of writing those 12, 30 second songs, like was the impetus for him starting his proper solo record, you know? And so it was like, um, or like this was the catalyst that like made his, his first proper solo record happen. So that, that, and then we ended up releasing that like a few months later uh called the fickle finger of fate and that and to me that's like a dream come true because like dale crover is my my hero and you did you also did a a record that was like a six inch symbol yeah (laughs) and also had music cut on it right yeah yeah it was (laughs) i I tried to get one i tried to get one i got in the internet queue yeah (laughs) yeah yeah Seriously, that's little like splash stuff. symbol. That's also a, a record. It's amazing. <laughs> like that's as someone who makes far too many labor intensive custom records. Like that was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. I was like, that's that's clever. Um, all right, so here on to our last segment here with Carl, who I saw headbang at a Melvin show, and it's something I'll never forget. It's one of the biggest smiles I've ever had in my life. It's amazing. <laughs> My question, Carl, for you. These five quick questions. What was your first car? Um, nineteen eighty four Chevy Blazer. Oh man. Uh, what color was that car? Blue. Beautiful. Uh, 
When, uh, I mean, I kind of already asked you, but there's just no way of ever knowing, I guess. Uh, what do you now, I guess, because it could change Think milk the G649 mint <laughs> as a young boy. <laughs> uh, that might be a proper response. <laughs> <laughs> it's... It, it it was a an inside joke that went too far and had too many too many different points of entry. Okay. So I just honestly do, I honestly can't tell you. I I don't know. It's better that way. It's been yeah. lost to time. Yeah. Um what's your favorite drink? Um alcoholic or non-alcoholic? Uh let's go uh, in a Okay. To, to start coffee. Coffee and uh alcoholic Tequila. Tequila. Okay. Um, question number four. When was the first time you got dumped? Do you remember that? <laughs> is this like a like by a real girlfriend or uh, or like is let, this like passing notes in a let, class? Yeah, or? let's go fictitious. Like uh, I, middle school on is is all fair game. So whichever okay. made the most you know brutal impact. Yeah. Um. Hmm. To give you an example, it, I remember getting kneed in the balls when I got <laughs> dumped the first time. That was pretty dope. No, right in I, front of the bus. I the the first real getting dumped for me that felt real was uh um let's see. It was freshman year of high school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, that's good enough. Like that's uh, yeah. It was I want this like to be real I'm a, and pure. I'm yeah. I'm crushed as a person. I, I'll never never love again. Never yeah, it's gonna yeah. last forever for sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> your favorite? Um, who's your favorite candidate for 2020? Uh, d- I'm I'm Bernie, man. I mean, Bernie's Bernie's the one motherfucker who's been saying all this shit his entire career and i don't care how old he is his message is still the same and he's um you guys did a I'm, lathe cut for bernie right yeah uh we, we did a flexi disc it's, it's a yeah bernie sanders and thurston moore that's pretty collab epic. <laughs> that's pretty epic uh yeah i mean but but i will vote for a you know um rotting possum carcass over over <laughs> Donald Trump. So like so I'm not I'm not trying to get into a, a thing where I'm talking shit about the other candidates. I think there are, no, I think sure. it's amazing that That's the conversation we're... is is where it's at already. Like th- like Bernie's platform is the democratic platform at this point. Or at least they're you know they're saying it is. <laughs> yeah. So, it feels like it's his questions I guess are the ones that are moving the needle anyways. Yeah. I mean um, but you know, other than Bernie, Elizabeth Warren, I think would be my second. Um, she's, she's amazing. Um, I like Pete Buttigieg. Seems like I'll, a nice fella. He's yeah. And he's, he, he's smart as hell. I would love to have a fucking smart articulate president again, but he also doesn't talk en- enough about like economic like the economic uh, sources of 
of our problems in my mind. Okay. Well, yeah, we always just want to be, uh, you know, uh, fair and balanced to hear, <laughs> you know, what everyone's viewpoints are here. So yeah, um, Carl, I'm glad you got over being dumped. I'm glad you, me too. I, w- I would have been a shell of a person if I, uh, would have stayed with that stayed girl and in, in when I was 14, you know what I mean? Dude, like, I, we've all been there. All right. Like, yeah. uh, it's, it's scary to think back. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Hey, thank you so much for coming and hanging out and doing pleasure, the do man. Thank here you. on the Romanus records podcast. And uh, talk to you soon. Bye-bye.